Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. I, as always, am Dear Prudence, uh, also known as Mallory Ortberg, and I'm excited for you to take this journey with me yet again. We have a great guest in the studio today that I'm going to get to in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about a couple of great letters I've gotten this week. Uh, these letters have been impassioned. These letters have been strident. These letters have been strongly worded. These letters have been about cots. Uh, readers of the column might remember that last week we got a letter from a woman who had lent a cot to a good friend of hers. It was built by, I believe, her late grandfather. It was a bit of a family heirloom. She had agreed with her beforehand, you know, after your son outgrows the cot, you'll give it back. So far, so good. Uh, but then, unfortunately, this friend's son died tragically, very young. Um, she belongs to a religious tradition that... Um, Usually after someone dies, their possessions are burned um, to sort of mark their passing and to honor their their life and death. Uh, and the letter writer is worried the cot will be among those possessions uh, and wanted to know, you know, this has a lot of sentimental value. Is there a way that I can ask for it back? And, oh, man, I thought about that one for a while. And I just kept thinking, how would I advise her to phrase that question in a way that did not add to this woman's suffering and grief? And I couldn't come up with one. So I had to come down to, on the side of, I don't think you can ask for it back. I, you know, I, I feel for you. I understand that people feel really strongly about family heirlooms. But I think even if you lend something out to someone with the understanding that they will give it back, you know, if their child dies, that kind of supersedes the emotional claim that you have on that item, like in a way that belongs to her and her family now more than it did to you. Um, and I just don't know how you can say to a woman who's just lost her child, I really want this bed back um, if it's important to her to do that. Um, I, I feel pretty, pretty solidly about this one. But I got like four letters, several of which were in all caps that were just like, fuck everything, get that bed. Um, and I just, uh, I just found it kind of remarkable. Um, and, and I would love, none of those people, uh, unfortunately were able to suggest how you would go about doing it. They just said she should. Um, so if someone can provide me with language that you think would be supportive, loving, uh, appropriately respectful of the grief and loss and horror that comes with losing your young child, um, you know, send it in. I'll take a look at it. And, and if it seems, uh, workable, I will I will update my answer, but I just don't think that such a script exists. I think um, sometimes in life you have to let possessions uh, fall a little bit uh, below people, and this is probably one of those cases. Um, but I welcome your input. Uh, yeah, that's all. That's all. I, I don't even know how to transition out of that one. That one just feels like such a no-brainer to me uh, that I don't have a great uh, segue, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, we've got a guest in the studio this week, Saladin Ahmed. Uh, hello. You are calling from Michigan. How are you? I am good. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, you and I, I feel like, have been pals from the internet for a long time, um, yes. but only met this... Was it last year? I guess it was... I 
Well, no, it was early this year, I think. I think it was like in It was the, early this year. Er, er, early part of this year before it got warm and then stopped being warm. Well, I feel like I've known you for a hundred years. So, you know, take that as you will. But um, you and I had such a fabulous time at a at a conference where we skipped out on several occasions to go to Chili's and McDonald's and basically just drive around eating garbage, feeling like dirtbags. Um, that <laughs> it was very I high kind of school. knew. It was nice. <laughs> yes, I knew. Yeah, we're gonna get out of this town, man. My mom doesn't understand me, uh, and I knew I was gonna have to get you on the show because I felt like when we were sitting in that Chili's, we were sort of solving the world's problems already. Yes. Um, yeah. And now you're here helping me do that. And happy to be. I got a fabulous email from you last night berating me for the questions that I sent you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wondered whether these were sort of just representative or if you kind of pick out these particular kind of horrible trends. But I guess we'll get to that. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, honestly, honestly was not trying to give you like the heaviest, most <laughs> divorce related questions, I promise. Uh, but it happened. Some weeks are just really heavy. There's no questions that are like fun about like a, I don't know, like a mysterious goat that turns into a <laughs> wizard. I never get questions like that, unfortunately. So no, I totally I'll, have I'll... to adopt a persona and send you a question about a mysterious goat. I wish that you would. Frankly, I mean, you you know, you write like sci-fi and speculative fic. Like, I feel like you are uniquely situated to write to me about an enchanted goat. But in the meantime, we have no goats. We have no wizards. We have no magic. We have only uh, financial dilemmas and heartbreak. Mm. Uh, you want to you wanna start tackling them? Yeah, let's do it. We can handle this. Fabulous. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our first letter, which is just titled Financial Dilemma. I have decided to leave my partner of 13 years. The issue is that she earns three times as much as me. We're great with money, saving up to 65% of our take-home income. I would like to wait another six months to tell her I am leaving due to a certain savings goal we will achieve at that time. It would take me years to save that much on my own, and we will be splitting the savings. Is it unethical of me to keep my decision a secret for financial gain? If it matters, I'm not leaving because of any duress, but rather a death of passion and curiosity. I'm not interested in spending the rest of my life in front of a TV every night not talking. Woo! <laughs> this is bracing. This is like an espresso shot. <laughs> well, uh, uh, do you start or do I? <laughs> Uh, you, when you ask that question, that means I'll start because that, that makes me think that I don't want to throw you in before you've been able to marshal your thoughts. Uh, uh no, 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 I have, I have thoughts. Hit me uh, with them. Yeah. Uh, I, I think so the, the first sentence or somewhere around the first sentence there was, I have decided, uh, to leave my partner, right? It's not, I'm thinking about this. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, you know, there's doubt. Um, this person writing in, uh, has made a decision, you know? Right. And at that point, uh, I mean, and look, uh, I mean, I get it. Splitting up is scary, you know? Uh, thinking about, th there are probably lots of people who will hear that letter and just be like, oh, what an awful person for even thinking about that. And no, you have to think about your economic security. You have to think about kind of, um, you know, being able to live on your own. But, you know, it doesn't sound like this is a situation where there's a threat of poverty. It sounds like, this is about, you know, kind of inconvenience for a little while. Right. Um, maybe not hitting exact savings goals that you have. Uh, but that's, to me, not enough to uh, justify just being living in deception with someone for six months. And, right, right. Uh, if it were a question of, like, 
I wouldn't be able to find a place to live without this money, that might be a different question. But it doesn't yeah, seem and, that and way. people make decisions. I mean, you know, it, it's a scary thing, you know. Uh, so uh, that's you know, it's it's not horrible to think about the pragmatic realities. But if you can afford to live on your own, even with slightly decreased circumstances, um, you know, for uh, uh, for that brief while. Uh, you owe it to that person and, and to yourself because it'll also just poison you kind of trying to hide that and have that just, you know, in you um, for that next six months as you're living with this person pretending to be their partner. Right, right. It is really interesting. One thing I think I've learned from this column that I don't know that I realized uh, beforehand was how often divorce for people is really financially ruinous. Um, like mm-hmm. how much of the stress from divorce comes from just the nightmare of separating out your money and paying lawyers and like, you know, people using money kind of as a weapon um, and the ways in which it can just like tank your savings. Absolutely. And, and, and that's why I say, you know, I don't, I don't fault this person for thinking about that. Um, But again, I didn't, I didn't get from the the text, at least uh, a sense of economic panic or I, I don't know where if I'll be able to have a, a home for my kids or something like that right, um, right I right. got sort of I want to hit this savings goal which I understand but uh, I, I think that might be something you have to you have to just kind of give yourself six months where you're not going to do that because you're right I, living I think, your true life that you really want to live you know right it's, the line that sticks out to me it would take me years to save that much on my own but mm. that also means like you could save that much on your own. Yeah, like, it would take yeah. a longer time, but it's not decades. It's not never. Um, if if you're not going to be ruined by leaving this relationship, mm-hmm. I think you will. It will be better for your partner, who even if you don't love them anymore, I think like this is something you can do for them. That would not mean like if six months from now you said I'm leaving and I've been wanting to for a while, or they started to realize like wow, looking back, like the last yeah. six months you were really checked out. Um, that would be maybe really painful for them to think like, oh, you just wanted to stick around for the savings. Um, and if somebody gets a sense that you're kind of making these plans, uh, you know, uh, then they go into kind of, you know, planning mode. Retribution mode. I, I mean, it's just, it's just a bad scene generally. Right. I'm, I'm curious because they say that, it, that this is their partner. So I'm wondering if they're maybe not like married and there's kind of a question of if I leave, when I leave, I don't know how we're going to divide our assets. Um, and, and that's maybe difficult. I don't know if you have legal representation um, or somebody who can kind of help you look out for your own financial interests. You know, even if you weren't married, like you should, you know, find out as much as you can about a division of assets when you guys end this relationship. But yeah, I think if you're not interested in spending the rest of your life in front of a TV every night not talking, and I'm going to go ahead and assume that you have done like your due diligence in trying to repair the relationship. I'm not going to tell you like, have you considered going to couples counseling or try yeah, harder? Like you 13 sound years. So you yeah, know. you sound done. I'll take you at your word for that. And I think the best thing you can do for both of you guys is is just end it now. Um, because even six months of spending every night in front of the TV not talking sounds – well, actually, that kind of sounds awesome. But um, if you don't like it, then <laughs> you shouldn't do you it. Want. I mean, yeah. And, and, and you'll feel so much happier once you make that decision and, and put it out there. Right, right. And actually, I guess the best thing would be sitting in front of the TV every night and talking. Um 
I I am an inveterate TV talker, which I realize um, alienates me from a huge subset of the population. Now, see, we haven't watched TV together. That's something we need to do together because I am. We're absolutely going to. And like, I've got it under control now. I understand if I'm with people who don't like to talk during movies or TV, like. I'm not a monster. I can shut my mouth. Um, But the thing that brings me the greatest joy is to watch TV and hold a conversation at the exact same time. Unless it's something that I, like, really need to focus on. Um, Like an episode of The Simpsons I've seen a hundred times before. Then it's pure silence. All right. So uh, leave your partner. End it now. You know, start your own savings account and, you know, go out and do all the stuff that you've been wanting to do the last 13 years that you haven't because you guys have been sitting in front of the TV. And it'll it'll be scary, but it'll be awesome. Can I also make a plug for something? I'm just realizing it's right your now. show. It's not up to me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your permission. I feel like I sometimes get these questions from people and like maybe before you're at the point where you leave your partner. If, if if somebody's doing something all the time that you just hate, like, you don't have to do it, too. Like, if you're married to someone and you're just in, like, a huge friggin' rut or in a partnership and all they want to do is watch TV, like, if you need to, you can just say, hey, I'm going to go out. Like, go out. Don't mm-hmm. don't just default to the lowest common denominator because it's what they want to do. Like, it is okay to, like, say, you seem really happy sitting at home watching TV tonight. Cool. I'm going to go out. Um if nothing else, that will make you slightly less miserable when you do leave them. I don't know. I, I think it's sometimes great to remember you don't have to just sit at home every night if the person who lives with you does that. No, not just because of that. I mean, again, I please don't mistake me. Uh, I love TV, but you don't <laughs> have to watch it. All right. Uh, this one makes me furious. I just want to warn you right now. You're going to have to hold me back. Uh, the subject line. Yeah, the subject line of this one is just I'm tired. I have a lovely partner who I've been with for the last six years. Overall, things are great, but one problem persists. He likes to wake me up when I'm sleeping. Usually this happens when he gets home from a late shift, and he thinks it's cute to kiss me awake and ask about my day when I'm in a deep sleep. Or he will fall asleep on the couch watching TV, only to come up to bed and wake me with a question like, why did you leave me downstairs? Once he wakes me up, I have a really hard time falling asleep, whereas he can fall asleep anywhere instantly and is impossible to wake up. I've asked him many times to stop, but he seems to think it is cute and or harmless, but it drives me crazy. What else can I do to drive my point home? He's a very empathetic guy normally. How can I phrase my request so that he might empathize? I think you should kill him. (laughs) i'm sorry i feel so strongly about not waking somebody up especially when they've told you repeatedly not to do it like it just do you know what i mean like when somebody wakes you up and you're not ready it just awakens like the animal part of your brain that's like something is trying to keep me from sleep and i will do anything to get back yeah no i believe me i feel you hey i i i I had twins my children (laughs) awaken that instinct in me so Yeah. yeah i i i yeah, I, I I don't even know how to approach this question because I'm I don't know the mentality of this. Um, it's a, it's a he right that's doing this that's waking this person right. up. Yes, right. Um, I don't understand the mentality that he has that once once they've asked once twice, then don't wake them up. So I don't know how you get through to a person who still does that. And I don't I don't I, I almost don't believe. When this person says he's a really empathetic guy normally, <laughs> why, why this one thing? Yeah, I, I mean, I can 
to a certain extent, like, I understand there have definitely been times in relationships when I thought I was doing something really funny and eventually the person I was seeing had to say, it actually really bothers me and I want you to knock it off. Yeah. But the idea of doing it repeatedly after that, especially about something like as important as sleep. I love sleep. Um, I don't think you should murder him. I need to stop advising people to commit murder on this podcast. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's that's, that's literal uh, torture though. I mean, I, I, I (laughs) this instance is, but an exaggerated version of this is like, you know what they do to people (laughs) they detain, right? It's like, like you can't sleep when you want, need to sleep and want to sleep. I'm going to wake you up. Um, Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, there's something deep in you that, that, uh, that, that, messes with i think and, right uh, you you are not wrong to have a, a violent reaction to that i think so um, i think there's kind of two things that i would advise this person to do none of which involve murder um and i, I want to hear if you think that this makes sense or seems reasonable um one of which is uh you know, you want to try to have this conversation when you're both awake because, like, when you're getting woken up in the middle of the night, like, you react really reflexively. You might be really angry. You might say things that aren't helpful um, just because you're so upset. And I think it's a really good idea to have this conversation during the daytime. Um, and to phrase it as a question, like, can you help me with this? Like, you wake me up a lot. And I've told you when you do that, it's hard for me to fall back asleep. It's irritating. It's painful. It's bewildering. I don't like it. It ruins my sleep for the rest of the night. I'm tired the next day. And I've asked you repeatedly to stop. When I tell you all of this and you still do it, I don't understand. Can you explain to me what you're getting out of this? That you would repeatedly wake me up when I have asked you not to, knowing that it's going to like make the next day really difficult for me. Like, can you help me understand why? And Uh, You know, I don't have enormously high hopes for that conversation, but really, like, let him sit in that discomfort and kind of try to say, like, let him try to think through, like, wow, what am I getting out of this? Why am I, like, on some kind of sadistic level enjoying, like, distressing you um, and pretending that it's cute when I know that it's not? And depending on how that goes, like... You might be able to have a meaningful conversation depending on, like, his answer might not be great. It might be, oh, it's not that big a deal. You're over-exaggerating. You're exaggerating. You're overreacting. Um, I think you need to assume that as long as he's not going to stop, you need to set a really firm boundary. So it might be something like, I've asked you not to do it. I want you not to do it. If you do it again, I'm going to leave the house and sleep somewhere else. And I'm going to do that until I can trust you to act like an adult and let me sleep. Um, and I know that that's kind of drastic, um, but I also think, like, if he doesn't respond to questions, if he doesn't respond to requests, if you try to have that conversation, he doesn't respond well to that, like, you need to think through, like, where can I go to get a full night's sleep? And, like, maybe that will only happen to have, have to happen a couple of times before he gets it through his head. Maybe uh, it's going to continue to happen and you'll have to think through, like, is this a person I want to sleep with? Like, I just think like letting somebody sleep, sleep in peace with. is such a such a meaningful gift. Like I, I can't imagine why you would take that away from them if they told them <laughs> told you it bothers them. Yeah, like go to a hotel if you can afford it. Uh, go to a friend's house if you can. Go to your like a family, like a sister or a brother's house. Like somebody that you know will let you sleep all night. Yeah, and sleep there because you know. That yeah, is, yeah. You're gonna eventually kill him. You know, <laughs> like eventually you will be so sleep deprived that he will wake you up, and without thinking, you will just like push him out a window. Yeah. See, I, 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 I would even just skip the, uh, the, the, the asking him uh, stage. You know, because he's not gonna have anything <laughs> useful to say. I think it's you know just like one morning 
you know, or one evening, depending on what works for you before bed or, or after you guys wake up, um, you know, change your routine. You know, if you guys usually wake up together and whatever, brush your teeth together, whatever, have breakfast, you know, change it up, get up before him, something, you know, break into his routine and sit there and, you know, look at him and be like, look, you know, I don't feel well this morning. It's because I didn't sleep last night, you know? And, and like you were saying, you know, just say, this is just stress how serious this is. Tell him I can't keep doing this and I'm going to sleep somewhere else if this happens again. And just, I was and starting it, to think that you were going to recommend that like the letter writer wake their partner up like retaliation. I, this is much better. <laughs> no, because uh, the, the I don't thing think is, you should retaliate. A, it's, it's not the same for everybody. I mean, I'm for me, I'm the same way. Like sleep is my sleep can be fucked up very easily. I'm, I'm, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> my sleep can be messed up very easily. And uh, I, I, you know, but not everybody's like that, you know. I've certainly had partners where, like, you know, they just go right back to sleep and no big deal. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so it might not hit this guy. Um, right. But that's what's so frustrating about this is, like, the letter writer says, like, I've told him that I don't like this. I've told him that I have trouble falling back asleep. Like, this is not, like, oh, he's laboring under, like, a false impression. He knows that the letter writer doesn't like this. Yeah, but I think I think there is something to be said for sort of a, a – both interrupting your normal routine and really stressing, uh, uh, stressing this as you're saying when you're awake, rather than just kind of saying, "Hey, don't do this when yep. you're when you're sleeping." And like you're saying, uh, just making clear that there are going to be consequences. Of course, the the thing is, you know, the 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 letter writer has to be clear whether in uh, uh, in their mind how far they're going to go. You know, is this somebody that right. you care so much about and that you're so into that you know you're going to keep putting up with this? You know, or mm-hmm. or not, and mm-hmm. you got to kind of that. That's really what's at the core. And I of think it, so you got to sort that out. You know, yeah. I I think even more than calling this a consequence, because I think one one trap that you want to try to avoid, and I realize this is a little hypocritical because I told you to murder him earlier, um, is it's not punishment, right? You're not saying like because you're such a shitty partner, I'm going to punish you by withdrawing. What you're doing is stating a need, and the need is uninterrupted night no, to me sleep. yeah but to me i don't um, mean when so, i say consequence i don't mean necessarily punitive i just mean the the result oh, for of, sure you know uh, right right i'm just kind of thinking through how this conversation could possibly go a bit wrong and trying right. to anticipate that so just like make it really clear i'm not doing this um to get back at you i'm not doing this because i want to hurt you i'm doing this because it seems like this is the only way that i can get a full night's sleep exactly i would love to do that in our bed with you it seems like that's not possible right now so until it is i'm going to sleep somewhere else and you know if his response to that is to kind of get it together and knock it off great you guys can kind of have some more conversation about your dynamic and and move on um and if he doesn't I got to say, this kind of feels like a deal breaker to me. It exactly. sounds like it happens a lot. Exactly. It, this is not like a little thing. This is like, no, I need my sleep. Every night. You, you can't know? I mean, let it's me do your that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sleep is such a need. It's like breathing and eating. Like you can't, you can't go without it. Especially when it's just to talk about your day. My day is over. It's night now. Don't ask me about my day. The day already happened. You're not valuing the other person's health. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's a pretty big effing thing, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, this I sorry, I wasn't ex- expecting to send like this much time on this letter, but it's just <laughs> really I'm angry just like secondhand imagining someone doing that to me. Um we would be broken up. It would be over if it happened yeah, like oh, three yeah, times. Oh, yeah. It would be done. Oh, uh do you uh do you want to read the next one? Sure, I can. 
Um, the subject is, uh, my roommate is a Trump supporting party crasher. I'm a Hispanic woman in college. One of my roommates is very conservative. She's made several remarks that I, as a Hispanic woman, have found extremely offensive, including that she doesn't believe racism is real, uh, that minorities exaggerate claims of discrimination, and that, as a white woman, she has been cheated out of opportunities by less qualified minority applicants because of their skin color. I've found living with her to be extremely difficult but due to severe shortage of housing on campus, I can't move until the end of the year. I've told her directly and politely when her remarks have offended me. As a result, she's mo she more or less ignores me around the apartment, which is fine. The problem, I'm a pretty social person, and I love throwing events and parties for small groups, never over 20 to 25 people. Because of the roommate tension, I no longer host events in my apartment. Still, my roommate has turned up uninvited at a number of things I've hosted elsewhere. Particularly since the election, I'm just not in a place to deal with her. At multiple events, she has turned up, said offensive things, or gotten into arguments with folks over her beliefs. And more than that, as a woman of color, every time I see her and know what she thinks of people like me, her presence frequently ruins events I really enjoy planning. Is the option to tell my larger group of friends what I think of her and ask them not to pass the invitation on? Or do I confront her directly and ask her to stop coming to events I'm hosting? Either option seems dreadfully petty, but I'm just really tired of being forced to play nice with a woman whose beliefs devalue me as a person. Help! Do you think this letter is petty? No, no, I, no. I don't think this is petty. Oh, boy. No, no, I don't. Um, I mean... Uh, I mean, can I go off? Is that okay? Please. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, you're not petty at all. Um, you are in the midst of trying to get an education and trying to kind of prepare for your professional life and trying to, college is supposed to be a time where you're supposed to be able to be, uh, sort of psychically free to kind of, uh, you know, explore different things. Um, uh, this person is creating a toxic environment for you. Um, and, and you have every right to kind of be totally repulsed and angry and, uh, and, uh, stressed out by it. And you're not being petty for that, uh, one little bit. Um, uh, the pragmatics, um, it sounds like this is probably not campus housing, um, or maybe you're not at a particularly sympathetic university. I mean, the first thing I'd say is if you are in any kind of campus housing, you know, talk to the people in the university and, and not every school is going to understand, you know, um, you know, I've taught college, so I've sort of seen some of these dynamics and, um, there are lots of places though, where, where if, if you're like, I'm in a situation that is just untenable kind of for me and is affecting my kind of education and my happiness here, um, people will sometimes take extraordinary steps. Sometimes, sometimes they won't. And maybe you'll be stuck there, or maybe this isn't campus housing and you're just sharing an apartment with this person. You're in a lease. And in that case, uh, to my mind, you are totally justified in just kind of treating them as invisible. Um, as far as the, you know, and, and just kind of trying to just live out that lease with this person that you don't like, you know, and, and not pretending to like them. You don't have to do that to live together uh, kind of civilly, you know? Um, and I, I think as far as the two questions, you know, should you kind of confront her or should you tell your circle of friends? I think you should do both. You know, I think you have every right to tell people around you, hey, look, uh, I'm sorry that this person keeps crashing and, and getting into arguments. I'm not inviting her. 
Um, and uh, I, you know, I'd appreciate it if if you guys sort of understand that, and and if other folks, you know, um, I mean, I don't, you, you don't want to try and blacklist this person, but one expects that the kind of folks you're hanging out probably aren't inviting her anyway. Right. Well, and I think that that's important, right? Because she's not uh, the letter writer. Yeah, she's not asking. Uh, you know, I want to tell everyone to stop talking to her. She's just asking, "Can I tell my friends?" Which like makes me wonder, like, if she's been kind of keeping this all to herself. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I'm friends. kind of surprised that her circle doesn't know that this person is not, you know, <laughs> right. Especially if, <laughs> as you say, she shows up at. Especially if she shows up at parties and like isn't just like innocuous there but like says offensive shit uh picks fights with people um like this may already be information that some of them have it's not like you're revealing some of her deep personal secrets like all you're doing is saying like guys i'm having a really hard time my roommate is like racist and mean and awful and she crashes parties i don't know if any of you guys have a different relationship with her it's really uncomfortable for me if i'm hosting an event especially if you're the host right Mm -hmm. like where you have Not total control over the guest list, but at least, like, it's not unreasonable for a host to have some input on who gets invited to events to just say, it would mean a lot to me if you guys would bear that in mind when you think about people you want to bring to a party. And, I mean, to be clear, right, this is not uh, just sort of like, oh, I have different beliefs in this person or something like that. Right. It's not, I'm a little bit country, you're a little bit rock and roll. This person is showing up in your spaces getting into arguments with your friends. That's not, that's not just like, Oh, I, we, we disagree on some things politically. And I mean, I, I, you know, the specifics of the situation is college campuses are a very hostile environment for people of color, women of color, you know, and, uh, um, uh, you don't have to be sort of, you know, you don't have to feel bad or squirmy sort of, uh, recognizing that and that this is contributing to that, you know? Um, you have every right to kind of want out of that, you know, right. and to let other people know that um, that this is happening to you. Yeah, I, I have a question. I'm trying to think through. I, you know, I she's she's asking, can I speak to her directly and ask her to stop coming to events? Can you think of any reason that that might like? If she's worried about her safety, if she's worried this woman would retaliate, like uh, it seems to me like it would be valuable to say, like, hey, like it's no surprise to you that it's difficult for us to be around one another. Um, and it really upsets me when you crash parties I'm throwing and pick fights with my guests. Could you please stop doing that? Like, can you think of any reason not to have that conversation or to hold off? Or like, would that be a conversation where it'd be valuable to like ask? I mean, like you were saying, like college campuses are not always the most welcoming places. So it might be a little like naive to say like, maybe you could get somebody from like the housing department or like a guidance counselor to come have that conversation with you. Cause that no, actually I might think not that's be helpful a at all. One conversation. And I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, this, this is this woman writing knows her dynamic with her roommate. I mean, if she feels like it's going to lead to something explosive that she doesn't want to handle, that's one thing. Right. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily sound like that. It sounds like she's asking an ethical question kind of about right. whether she's entitled to do this basically and uh, hell yes <laughs> yeah. is basically my yeah answer. absolutely you are allowed to especially because like like you were saying this is not like a mere difference of opinion this is a person who believes racism doesn't exist um but also apparently that she's and been insists on out talking of some... to you about that fact that's the thing to me it's not just about what she believes it's like like when you come into your home you mm-hmm. know that's you should have some peace and quiet you know not people getting into political discussions that you're explicitly don't want to get into with them Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's really fair for you to say, um, you know, I would like you to not crash parties that I host and and then to kind of figure out like, 
you know, if she doesn't do that, if she does continue to come and pick fights, like, what do you need to do for your own well-being? Like, is it you're going to leave the room if she shows up? Um, Is it that you're going to ask a friend or two to kind of hang out with you and, like, hold a different conversation? Is it that you want to ask her to leave? Um, Like, think through what do you need to do to, like, get through events? Um, Because there's obviously, like, you know, you've got the end in sight of being able to not live with her anymore. But you also need to figure out, like, how can you still enjoy the parties that you're throwing um, if this woman, like, gate crashes and is like, who wants to talk about the fact that racism's not real? Me. Um, that she sounds like a terrible party guest. I'm kind of surprised that anyone is still inviting her to parties. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's not being invited and she's just showing up. Whew. Okay. Oh boy. This next one. I forgot about this one. This one is, um, <laughs> uh, boy, oh boy. Uh, I'll take this one since you took the last one. Um, really sorry. You got both of these today. Um, <laughs> oh, I love this one. subject. The subject line of this one, there's a lot here. There is a lot here. The subject line of this one is the foreign in-laws. I feel like a horrible person, but it is what it is. (laughs) I am in an interracial marriage, and we recently had our first baby. I truly don't see my husband as another race, and I know he feels the same about me. But his parents came to America in their late 20s, barely speak English, and I am starkly reminded they are a different ethnicity. I sorry, I just need a minute. I just need a minute after that. <laughs> I like <sighs> what, the, what the listeners can't see is that it's not just but it's all caps. But dot 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 his parents <sighs> dot dot dot. <laughs> all right, yeah, uh, okay. I'm back in. I've got my head on straight. I'm a professional. I can do this. Right. During the last five years, my relationship with them has been cordial at best, leaning towards distant and forced. The problem is with the baby. They want to babysit when I go back to work, and I don't feel comfortable with it. I would rather quit my job, although in reality, I don't want to pull that ultimatum. I can't communicate with them, and I feel like their customs clash with our values with raising our daughter. When they are around the baby now, I already feel shut out and criticized. For example, my father-in-law constantly tells us to let our newborn cry it out and that we spoil her by picking her up all the time. And my mother-in-law shuns our decision on cloth diapering. Still, my husband wants to let them watch the baby initially because it would save money, but I just can't let it go. <laughs> There's so much here, I kind of don't know where to start. <laughs> uh, I think cloth diapering is the least of your problems. Um, I think that's actually pretty minor. I, I, you know, I, here's the thing. I, this is this is an advice show. People are writing, asking questions. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as uh, as sympathetic to the asker as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I, 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 <laughs> I guess in my nice voice, I would just sort of underline the really basic fact that, uh, it, it, it sounds like you're, you know, I, I mean, kids are a big thing, you know, who, t- who does what with your kids and in-laws can be, it can be a very stressful thing, you know, when you are trying to deal with your kid a certain way and like, you know, yelling at you for picking up your kid when they're crying. I mean, that's, that's. You know, that's stressful. I feel you. Maybe consider the fact that this has fuck all to do with whether this person is another ethnicity or not. And maybe this is just sort of, you know, uh, the controlling issues of parents-in-law that uh, every couple deals with, you know. And uh, it's not because they're from whatever country they're from, but it's because nagging parents-in-law do this, you know, and right. uh, it's something you have to deal with. And there are all sorts of ways to ask how to deal with it that don't have to do with kind of um, blaming it on their foreignness. 
Yeah, there's there's like kind of two different threads in this letter that I really want to pull out. Like one is disagreeing over how to like react to a baby that's crying. And I think that's really fair to disagree on. And mm-hmm. I think it's really fair to say like we are not, you know, of the school that says let newborns cry it out. Um we we would not want that for somebody looking after our child. Like, that's okay. That's yep. absolutely okay to disagree about. I think one thing that's really fascinating about this letter is the, like, unspoken way in which this letter writer views, like, ethnicity. It mm-hmm. seems like the best possible thing is to be seen as no ethnicity, um, mm-hmm. which usually, like, in this country means, like, kind of a default bland whiteness, right? Like, mm-hmm. I truly don't see my husband as another race. Like, and it says that with pride. Like, that's really great. Right. I don't even think of him as the race that he is, right. which like, I, I don't know that that is the great good that you think it is. Um, mm, and I think it's no. it's really and, interesting. And, and, and your kid really needs you to recognize that, right. that, that and you America never that. is going to see that race and that you probably yeah. see that race in ways that you haven't yet kind of unpacked and and right. people will see that in your kid and you need to recognize that for your kid's sake but you know that's a whole other <laughs> right and and like you never hear someone say like i truly don't see gender i don't even think of my husband as uh, the man i married um because <laughs> right, right, yeah. i think sometimes if somebody has like just sort of like a cursory thought process around like race and racism they think well uh it seems like when we talk about race or notice differences uh it gets uncomfortable people take offense i'm not sure why so the best thing i can do is pretend it doesn't exist that's the highest good noticing someone's race or ethnic background that's the problem right that's not the problem um that's not the problem with race and the problem with racism isn't people are of different races and we notice it, right? Um, so actually, like, pretending your husband does not belong to the ethnicity that he does and, like, holding him up as a good example of his ethnicity and his parents as a bad example because they are immigrants, um, because English is not their first language, because they are not fluent in English, because they might have different cultural traditions, like, um, that's actually really fucked up because what you're saying is, like, my husband is good insofar as he has shed his ethnic identity and our child will be good insofar as they shed this ethnic identity and the further we get away from his background, the better. Um and that's um, I don't encourage you to think about your family that way. You know, there's some resentment in this letter, like they barely speak English. I can't communicate with them. Um, I- I'm just kind of curious, like, have you tried to learn their language at all? Right. Because if you haven't, it's a little interesting to be real mad at them for not learning yours as, as well as you would like them to. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if-, if-, if communicating with them was like a really strong goal of yours, maybe that's something you would have tried to do. But you didn't, and it's it's just fascinating that the it's uh, ethnicity, not you know culture, that's like being stressed here. It's like why, I don't know. It's I mean like you know there, there, if, right. there there's going to be specific points of disagreement, just like there's going to be specific points of disagreement with any grandparents, um, and you deal yeah. with those without pathologizing people for not being white and American. <laughs> right. You know. Right. I think like whether or not you decide to offer your your in-laws the job of primary caregiver while you're working. And it sounds like because you you don't have a fabulous relationship with them to begin with, I can I can understand that that would be a huge next step, right? Like I don't think mm-hmm. that that's going to be on the table. Um and so y- you and your husband will need to talk about like uh other alternatives like professional daycare but i do think that like as long as you guys can agree on certain really basic principles and i don't mean cloth versus plastic diapers or whatever diapers are made out of i don't know i don't have kids um 
Are they made out of plastic? You have yeah. kids. Yeah. What, do you, what did you uh, yes. diaper them and, with? Uh, and, um, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe you can't insist while you're, the grandparents are taking care of the kids that they use cloth diapers because that is kind of a pain in the ass. And so it's, yeah, you're asking a lot. You know, it's 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 an absolutely environmentally righteous decision. Um, but to ask another person to put in that labor while they're watching your kids for free, you know uh i i you know maybe not now the the thing with like you pick up the kid when he's crying you know that's you know that that's inviolate to me if you say you're gonna you know if you say that's that's what they need to do and they're not doing that and that's it's as you're saying there's a there's a whole separate discussion here of are these grandparents right to take care of the kids are do you need to Def, you know, do you need to uh, sort of defer and let the grandparents take care of the kids if you're not comfortable with them doing that? That's a whole separate question than anything about their ethnicity. And that, that's what I find so right. bizarre here. It's like, I want to answer this question about, should I let my grandparents take care of my kids? But it's, uh, it's, it's tainted by the idea that the problem is that they're ethnic and that's why you're worried about them taking care of your kids. Right. Because there is real conflict here. But mm-hmm. it, as long as it's wrapped up in, you know, uh, their ethnicity is causing me problems and I want that to stop, um, you're only going to make the situation worse. So, like, I think to think through with your husband, what are some really basic principles that we won't compromise on? And exactly. I think it's really fair to say, like... can you make that work like, with, with these people? You right, know, Give right. them a chance and see if it does. Yeah. You know, and, and if uh, they can't... Like, you do not have to let them be the primary caregivers for your kid. That's absolutely okay. That's fine. Um, But I I, I really, really strongly encourage you to maybe just rethink the way that you approach your relationship with them. Again, that doesn't mean you guys are going to become best friends. They might still be assholes. I don't know. Like, they might still be really critical. Uh, You know, that's something it seems like is pretty universal to in-laws. But... Um, I, I do think that you could take some steps to try to get to know them a little bit better on their own terms and to not just constantly think of them as like failed white people. Right. And I will say this. I mean, you know, I'm I'm my grandparents uh, are immigrants, you know, um, my uh, my kids grandparents are immigrants, you know, my wife's parents. Um, uh, and. There are these, there are some, there are some points of difference, you know, that are kind of generational and they're, and they're kind of underscored a bit sometimes when people are coming from different traditions. Um, And, uh, but the thing that you have to really, really think about for your kid's sake is, uh, is just not treat this culture that they come from as something that you've got to kind of uh, uh, sterilize your kid from, you know? I mean, it's going to be really good for your child to hear another language spoken. Uh, It's going to be really good for your child to smell different food cooking, you know? It's going to be really good for your child to just kind of see people relate to each other in in slightly different, culturally different ways than uh, they're going to see with all everybody's parents at school, you know? I I, I mean, value that and don't treat it like something that's, uh, you know, you need to protect your kid from. Right. Yeah, because even if they don't end up becoming the primary caregivers when you're at work, like, they're still your kid's grandparents. And, like, unless they are 
terrible people who like hurt your kid, you know, it's good for a kid to be around their grandparents. And so you should think of, okay, maybe they're not going to be primary caregivers while I'm working, but like, I want my kid to know them. I want my kid to be a part of their family. I like, ideally your kid will not have the same strange relationship with them that you do. And I think you should think through like, how can I facilitate an environment where that happens? Like, how can I approach them in a way that's not always suspicious, waiting for them to fuck up, looking for ways in which they like fail to meet my expectations? Um, that's not to say that generational and interpersonal and cultural like conflict can't come up. But if if your goal is always, I just wish I didn't notice anyone's ethnicity, you're just going to be setting yourself up for failure um, whenever you interact with these two. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for your kid or your husband. Oh, man. All right. This one, nice and easy. This next letter is just about someone who discovered their husband betrayed them after he died. You want to read this one? Sure. Um, The subject is better to know. I thought my husband and I were doing better in our marriage before he died. Therapy seemed to be working. He was more attentive and we were closer than we had been in a decade. His death devastated me, more so when I found a secret cell phone among his personal effects. My husband had been having a year-long affair with a dear friend. She was married and begging him to leave me while we were in marriage counseling. My husband was trying to break it off when he died. I haven't told anyone. I want to weep, to rage, to stop grieving for a life that was a lie. My quote-unquote friend came to the funeral in tears and hugged me. I found out that she and her husband are trying to have a baby now. I can't stand the thought that she gets to waltz away without a care. Her husband is a decent man and deserves to know exactly what kind of person he is married to. Um, I wish I knew the truth before my husband died. Uh, At least then my heart wouldn't be twisted like this. Should I tell him or am I spreading my pain around? I don't know what to do. Mm. It's been a while since a letter just produced a big gut groan out of me. And this one, this one got it. Um, this is awful. This is the worst. This is not one of those situations where I feel like I can say, oh, but you like still had a really good last year together. And that was meaningful. No, this is just the worst. It was based on a lie. Like, your reaction makes a lot of sense to me. Um, This is horrifying. Like, this is twin betrayals, and now your husband is dead and you can't fight with him about it. Um, I I cannot imagine that type of, like, impotence and rage and desolation. Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give a slightly differing opinion yes give me um, let's fight uh which is this and um a lot of people cheat a lot of people have cheated and uh in every instance that it's happened in every marriage that it's happened in every relationship that it's happened um it has not invalidated everything else that has been in the relationship right and so um uh maybe it was very real this this uh kind of uh, increasing rec- reconciliation between them and this increasing closeness between them. And uh, I'm sure that um, uh, there are real memories there and, uh, you know, um, that that they had some very beautiful things together. And I don't think that you, you have to feel like it's, uh, you know, um, I, I, there's a lot of conflicting feelings when someone dies. And I don't think you have to feel like you're not, you're not allowed to remember that or you're not allowed to kind of honor that. Um, right. But, uh, you know, she has, she has a specific question about, 
you know, and it, it, it does sound, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm assuming it's a she, I don't know that. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the letter writer has a specific question um, about, uh, you know, whether she should tell uh, uh, this woman's husband, right? And uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think the, the one thing, thinking back to what you were just saying, is like the one thing that makes this particularly painful is it wasn't just that it was an affair. It was an affair with her best friend. Yeah. So that, you know, that affects so many of her pers- interpersonal interrelationships. Like that affects her ability to trust the people close to her. Uh, that's really heavy. And I think that that's part of what makes this a little different from just he was having an affair, but in other ways things were getting better. This right, is like right, someone right. I really trusted. Uh, I... I think I would – I'm not sure if this is a, a firm position yet. So we'll, let, me, let me talk through this and I'll see how I feel at the end. I don't think she should tell the husband in part because I think like the level of intensity you're feeling right now is so heavy that I don't know if you could say it in a way that was not like maximally devastating to him, right? Like based on this letter – which just like, you know, screams with pain. I think it would be really difficult for you to say that to him in a way that was not going to cause you both more pain further down the line. But I do think that you can and should tell your friend, right, who I think in a lot of ways, like, that's the person you need to speak to um, in no small part because, like, she was asking him to, hmm. like, you know, start a marriage with her, Um and, you know, I, I don't know that you should do it right now. I think to wait until you are able to have a conversation without, like, really losing it emotionally or worried that you might do something that you would regret later. Um, so maybe you can't do it in person. Maybe you have to write to her. Um, and to just state really plainly without going into detail about what you think of her. Because um, I want you to be able to just say what you need and get out, right? Like, I don't want you to get trapped in this back and forth where you just unleash a lot of invective on her and then feel mm. better in the moment and then later feel weighed down. But to just say, you know, I know you were having an affair with my husband. Um, I know that you wanted him to leave me. Um, this has, you know, it is impossible for me to continue a friendship with you. Um I, you know, I, I can't see you anymore. Um, I, I, I can't trust you. Um, I'm not necessarily going to like tell anyone, but like if someone asks me or approaches me, I'm not going to lie. Um, and I think that's really fair. You're not going out of your way to cause destruction, but you're also letting her know, like, now that I know what I know, um, I'm going to set a boundary between the two of us because I don't trust you. Um, and I'm not going to lie for you. I'm not going to go out of my way to cause you harm, but I will not keep your secret. Um, I will not protect you like that. Um, and you, now that you have that information, you can decide. Maybe you'll tell your husband on your own. Maybe you won't. But that's your choice, and you get to live with that. Um, and I, th- <laughs> I can't. He needs to know. I mean, yeah. That's, oh, good. Yeah. Okay, hit oh, me yeah. with it. Hell yeah. I mean, they're they're about to have a baby together, right? They're trying to have a baby together, and. She's saying, you know, as far as she knows, he's a decent guy, whatever. Um, uh, I think that, and and there is a question of justice there. I don't care if it's petty, you know, to say, um, as she says, that this other woman gets to just waltz off. Um, and, you know, um, not only kind of having done what she's done to her best friend, but uh, just basically spinning this lie of a life with her husband, you know, when you she's know, been th- trying to good- get this other guy 
and and she should just be allowed to kind of go forward doing that. I don't know. Right. I mean, I think. Yeah. I think. I think she has. Every, I don't think it. But it's exactly as you say. I don't think it should be invective. I don't think it should be. I think some some very plain a plain statement of the facts via a letter. You know. Yeah. Or um, yeah. I don't know about an email. Maybe it needs to be a paper letter even. Um, but right. that's the, in in text somehow it doesn't have to be direct. You know contact i think now i think there is the question and and this is you know with these letters you don't know the the contours of somebody's friendship these could be people who uh these could be two women who have been friends for 30 years and have had and gone through all sorts of things together that i'm not going to say automatically they're never they'll never be friends i know it sounds crazy to say that but you don't you don't Mm -hmm. know what dynamics people have so i mean to me the question of whether you want to talk to your friend first and say look i found out about this and whatever that means for you know you and her to say, mm-hmm. if you're not going to tell your husband, I'm going to. You might do that, but you if you feel like you need to just you know you don't ever want to speak to this other woman again or ever have mm-hmm. any contact with her again, but you feel like ethically this other person, this other this man should know, you know, then you have every right to just not say boo to your friend, ex friend, ever again, and to just let this other person know what's going on, and then to go build, you know, what life you can. Now, knowing everything you know, and, you know, you can build a life, you know. No, and that's a good point, too. I forgot, you know, she says this woman was a really close friend, which presumably means she at least somewhat knows the husband, right? Like, if they have a kind of friendly relationship, um, I imagine, like, just as you wish someone had told you, um, he, you know, especially because you were, yeah, so actually, I I totally agree with you. Um, You know, you were in that situation. You knew how painful it was to find out after the fact, um, and and you're you you would rather know than not know. Um, you know, you have the opportunity now to save him the pain of finding out, like, and especially if you know that they're trying they have to have a, kid have a family. You know, I mean, right, right. That's that's he, somebody should know that before. Yep, yep, yep. And whatever they decide to do with that information, I don't right. think you should worry about that or try to get involved. Yep, like, yep, yep. Um, I know there's going to be a real desire for punishment and retribution on your side, and like sometimes people, when they hear information like that, they end it, and sometimes they clam up and bury their head in the sand and they say, I don't want to think about it. Let's just move on. Um, And I just encourage you, like, once you give them that information to just focus on taking care of yourself. Like, you're going through so many different forms of grief right now. I know you said therapy seemed to be working when your husband was still alive. I hope you are going to therapy by yourself now because you deserve it. Like, think of it as like a massage that you are getting. Like, you deserve therapy because you've been put through some uniquely painful situations. but yeah, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think he does deserve to know, especially if they're going to be having a baby. And I would certainly want to know. Um, so, yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And I think, yeah. you know, because you ask, like, should I tell or am I spreading my pain around? Really try to focus on keeping it as, like, factual and, and non-emotional as you can. Because it sounds but, like a part of you is – go ahead. You know, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, just like it sounds like you're kind of worried. Am I doing this out of a desire to hurt? Um, am I doing this to be cruel? And if that's a concern for you, I think to just focus on putting something in writing that is just here are the facts. Um, and that way you will be able to like ameliorate that concern a little bit because you're not calling and saying like, you're a terrible friend, you're a terrible person, your husband should know, um, which is stuff you might later come to regret, even if you felt it genuinely at the time. And I don't want you to have any regrets about this. I don't want you to feel like, oh, God, do I owe her an apology? Like, mm. I don't want you to ever have to apologize to this woman i mean my thing is you know yes it's true you don't want to act in any way uh out of a desire to hurt this person or or get kind of revenge that won't mostly because it won't work 
you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, leaving aside the ethical question. But, uh, but, but also you don't need to feel um, motivated to protect people. You know, I mean, to me, I read that right. also as much like, uh, should I not be spreading my pain around? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's no reason for all this to be on you. You're not the person who, right. who did this, you know? Right. And, uh, and you're, and um, yeah, I think, I think having the truth out there is not something you should feel guilty about. Right. No, that's a really good point. You didn't create the situation. You're not like stirring up controversy for the sake of doing so. Like you were given information that you were not ready for. Um, And I think let this be a reminder to everyone who's having an affair. Try not to die in the middle of it because it hurts. (laughs) people. Hide your secret cell phone. I shouldn't say. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make light of it. It's just, you know. You don't think that you'll die in the middle of doing something. Yeah, um, yeah. And and it hurts people incredibly. Um, yeah. Man, oh, my friend, my friend. Um, I wish so much that we had a question that was just like, should I have a sandwich today? <laughs> I know. That was uh, some emotionally intense stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Next time that you come on the show, I promise, they're all going to be just fun questions about like, I found a million dollars uh, which one of my friends' student loans should I pay off first? No, I like this was fun, and I never, I never do anything, you know, uh, advice. That's fun. Well, my friend, thank you so much for coming and handling all these incredibly thorny issues. Uh, I hope that you find a million dollars and eat a sandwich later today. <laughs> I really hope I do too, and I hope you do too. Um, thanks right. for having me, Mallory. Absolutely, absolutely. Get out of here. I want to leave you with this last bit of advice that hopefully wraps up everything that we've just tackled over the last hour uh, and makes you feel comforted and at ease. Uh, And that is this. Don't wake your partner up when they're sleeping. If you learned nothing else today, when somebody is sleeping, leave them alone. The following exceptions are acceptable if you are waking someone up from a deep sleep. They are on fire. End of list. Leave them alone. If it is a child sleeping, leave the child alone. If it is an adult sleeping, leave the adult alone. If you have a really important question you need to ask, wait until it's daytime. Uh, If you want to know how their day was, guess. You know, just sit quietly and think about what they might have done. You're smart. You can probably think of a few possibilities. Um, And if they're only a little bit on fire, frankly, try to put it out yourself. Um, Only wake them up if it's absolutely necessary. Just don't do that to people. The only people that I'm going to give a pass to on this are babies. You wake people up, but you don't mean to. It's just because you don't know how to tell us what you need. So you have to scream until we can guess, Um, which frankly, I don't think is a great system. Uh, I would love it if babies could sort of get together and reassess their technique. Um, But I respect their process. Uh, I have a lot of respect for babies. I think they're doing the absolute best they can. They don't even have fine motor skills and they usually don't have shoes on. So they're working, you know, with a lot of disadvantages. Um, You know, you can't even keep your neck up, babies. Like you're really out there living the struggle, trying to learn how to keep your neck up because you have no neck muscles yet. Um, So you guys can keep waking people up. Everybody else, knock it off. Let people go to bed. Let them sleep. And uh, if that's it, that's all I got. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. 
Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews help new listeners find the podcast, and then they ask us questions, and the beautiful cycle continues. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. 